Our gospel lesson for today, our featured scripture lesson, comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. The gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. I love the fact that today our featured psalm is Psalm 100, and I love the way it starts. Make a joyful noise to all the Lord. Or make it, I said it wrong. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into God's presence with singing. Most of you have probably figured out that I am a big fan of music. I love music. I love many different styles and genres. I love older music. I love current music. I, I really love the music that was around when I was in my college years in, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, but many different types of music. I love instrumental music. I love music with lyrics. I love the soundtracks that play in the background of movies and TV shows. I just love all kinds of stuff. And I love the way that different types of music can bring in different types of feelings, different emotions, just different sensibilities all through different types of song. It probably goes without saying that I sing a lot. And some of you have heard me sing and you know that I sing okay. I wouldn't consider myself a great singer, but depending on the song, I will usually sing along if I know it, if I'm familiar with it. And in particular, this happens when I'm in the car. When I'm in the car, I just don't care. And I will sing and sing and sing and sing. And one of my kids in particular has really picked up this trait, my daughter. In fact, this really came about, or we saw this on full display about a week or so ago when she and I went on a road trip. We were just going to go get some ice cream, and we intentionally drove extra just so we could listen to the playlist that's on my phone that's daddy-daughter time, and it's songs that we love to sing together with. Now, one of the types of songs that we really enjoy or the types or styles of music is acapella music, and in particular, groups that are able to put together a wonderful melody, not only the, the lyrics, but also the background sounds. And I was thinking a lot about that aspect 
recently as I was preparing for this message, I got to thinking about that. And in particular, those background sounds or those background vocals or those background singers, maybe not the main singer, maybe not the, the main voice that we listen to, but those voices and those sounds that are happening in the background that come into the full melody that make the whole thing really pop. If you've ever heard singing of, of a certain type, maybe someone is singing without any backing at all, you know that their voice may be wonderful, but without that extra stuff happening in the background, it's just not the same. And those voices are what I'm really thinking about. Now, today's scripture lesson, we find Jesus in the midst of his ministry. It's actually still fairly early on, but he's continuing what he had started right away at the beginning. When Jesus was first baptized and had his, his time in the wilderness, he came back and after those 40 days, he immediately got to work empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit within him. And we hear about how Jesus travels around. His ministry is itinerant. He's always going from town to town, community to community, village to city and all over. And we hear that he's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing the diseases and he's casting out demons. He's doing miracles and he's, he's challenging the status quo. And he's, he's talking on and on and on and on about how the kingdom of heaven has come near. That is the ministry that has started. And at the beginning of our lesson today, we hear that ministry is still going on almost verbatim. It's the same thing. He's traveling around. He's doing those different things. As that goes on, he, we hear that he has compassion on the crowds. We all know that Jesus attracts big crowds, and he has compassion on them because he sees them like sheep, helpless and harassed, unable to, to deal with the situation, and so his compassion is upon them, a compassion that I think is is, is telling of his ministry and as of the love that God has for all the world. But we also know that Jesus is not alone. And we hear about that in our passage today too. This, this portion of Matthew's gospel features the naming of the 12 disciples. Something that happens in all three of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John actually does not name all the 12. But what's interesting about this whole situation is that every time we hear the listing of the disciples, a few of the names are a little bit different, which raises some questions. You know, did, the, what, did they just have different names? Did they have some nicknames? Was it some confusion at the time when each of the different gospels were recorded after the fact that maybe they didn't quite have some of the names right? What, where's all that come from? And we don't exactly know, but that all feeds into this idea of the background that I think is so important. Now we have this listing of these, these 12 individuals, these 12 people, and Jesus calls them by name and he invites them, he empowers them with his own authority to go out and join in the ministry that he is already doing. And it's almost verbatim. He, he gives them power to, to over unclean spirits, to cast out demons. He tells them, go and proclaim the good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Cast out, disease, or, uh, cure diseases, cast out demons, raise the, raise the dead, which we never actually hear them do, but he tells them that anyway. And, and cleanse the lepers, all these different things, all these aspects of ministry that Jesus is already doing, he invites them into it. And I got to thinking about these, these 12 people. And I got to thinking about some of the different individuals. Now, when we think disciples, we probably all think of the same main four or five, don't we? Peter, James, John, maybe Andrew, occasionally Philip will get thrown around in there, but there's other names too. 
And the first one that actually caught my attention as I thought about this and thought about how Jesus gave them, he empowered them, he gave them authority, he invited them into this ministry that he's doing. The first one that jumped to mind was actually Judas. Judas Iscariot, as we know him, or the one who Jesus, or who would eventually betray Jesus. He's called that, the one who would betray Jesus. I thought that's strange, isn't it? That Jesus invited him in, knowing what would happen, Jesus still made him a part of this ongoing ministry. And, and that's kind of an eye-opening thing by itself, but perhaps that's something that we've, we've thought about before, that we've encountered before. I think we've probably talked about it before. But then I read it a little bit more, and I went through that list again, and I thought about some of the other ones. And in particular, I thought about one who we know as Simon the Zealot. The Zealot is usually the way he's described, but in the original language, it's actually Simon the Cananean. And in fact, it was even listed in in the the translation that I shared. Simon the Cananean. And that one really kind of grabbed my attention because Cananean sounds an awful lot like Canaanite, right? And the Canaanites, if you remember your, your ancient history in in and around the Holy Land. The Canaanites were the people who lived in the Holy Land when the Israelites were coming there. And there was constant tension between these two cultures, these two groups. And so I got to thinking to myself, wait a minute, is this telling us that Simon, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, was actually a foreigner, a Gentile, who had come in and joined the Jewish community? Is that what this is? And while I did some research, and I couldn't actually find anything backing that up, what I did find is that Canaanian actually comes from a different language that they would have spoken, Aramaic, which was another common language at the time, and it means zealot. So when we say Simon the zealot, that's actually pretty accurate. Well, what's it mean to be a zealot? He was zealot against the Roman occupation. It's interesting. His entire, what we know of him, and we don't know much, is basically that he lived and he tried to fight against the Roman occupation. Well, now let's think about a few of those other background voices, a few of those other disciples that maybe we don't often think about. And this is one that's maybe a little borderline, Matthew. What do we know about Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. He literally worked for the Romans. And he is partnered up with someone who is adamantly working against the Romans. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus attracts different types of people from different backgrounds and different different ways of life and walks of life. But that's not the last thing I want to think about. There's one more that I want to point out. And now this one is perhaps on the nose. In fact, the scripture even says, first, Simon, who is called Peter. What do we know about Peter? Peter will ultimately deny Jesus three times during the course of his his betrayal and his arrest, three times, and yet he is listed as first. And I think as we consider that, we consider what we know about the different disciples, whether they're the ones who are at the forefront or perhaps they're the ones who are more of the background voices that we never really hear a ton about. What do we know about them? We know they come from different occupations. We know they come from different places around the Holy Land. We may not know a ton, but we know that they are not utterly homogenous, that Jesus brings different people, but more importantly, Jesus brings imperfect people. And I think that's an important aspect for us to remember because just like the 12 disciples or apostles, as we hear them called, we too 
are followers of Jesus. And we too come from a wide variety of different backgrounds. We bring our own experience. We bring our own culture. We bring our own heritage. We bring our own thoughts and opinions and understandings of scripture and understanding of, of events and understanding of the world that we live in, understanding of God, understanding of faith, all these different things, because we are all empowered by the Holy Spirit in different ways to come together as the body of Christ. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm certainly getting ahead of myself because I'm thinking about some differences that we see in this immediate thing, this immediate invitation of Jesus compared with where these 12 apostles will eventually end up by the end of Matthew's gospel. Remember, we're in chapter 9, chapter 10 here, and Matthew's gospel is 28 chapters long, and so we're a ways to go yet. And as I mentioned before, in this particular instance, Jesus charges them to join in the ministry that he is currently doing. And he empowers them with the same types of things, the healing, the preaching, the proclaiming, the the casting out demons, all the things that Jesus is already doing. He invites them into that. But then Jesus says something that really kind of grabs my attention and it's a bit of a head scratcher. And honestly, I'm kind of like, Jesus, what's going on here? He tells them, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. I'm sending you only to the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel, AKA, I want you to stay among the Jewish people. That's who this ministry is too. And I can't help but think that seems a little exclusive. Like Jesus, come on, what are you doing? But there's some differences, especially if we consider where they will ultimately end up. Think of the way that Matthew's gospel ends. Matthew 28, we know it is the Great Commission. It was actually even the featured gospel lesson a week ago, even though we didn't focus in on that. Jesus meets the disciples on the mountain post-resurrection, after his death and resurrection, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth I give to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And remember that I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you see that distinction? Right now, in today's lesson, in the midst of Jesus' ministry, it is a small audience, a a distinct audience, despite the size of the crowd. It's a distinct type of people that Jesus seems to be ministering to and that he seems to be including the disciples in. But after his death and then his resurrection, we see go to all nations. So what's different? What is it about the death and resurrection of Jesus that changes the focus of his ministry and the ministry that the body of Christ will embark on? I can only think it's the promise that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the death that he suffered at the hands of the Romans when he was branded as an enemy of the state and hung on a tree, when he was killed in this way as an insurrectionist, as someone who was opposing the government, That's what he was killed for. But when God uses that to overcome the power of death and Jesus draws all people to himself, well, what does that mean? All people means all people. It's right right there. And that means all nations. And so that is why the resurrected Lord instructs his disciples, knowing that he will be returning to heaven, that he will not be physically a part of this ministry, even though it is empowered through the Holy Spirit. He empowers them to go make disciples of all nations. Folks, this is a wonderful aspect, and it got me to thinking about something else, not necessarily from this particular passage, but something that we spoke about last week, last time around. And we have to go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis to find it. 
Keep in mind what we hear in the very first account of creation, Genesis chapter 1. God makes something. God calls it good. God makes something else. God calls it good. God takes joy and delight in what God is making, and that culminates in the creation of humankind made in the image of God. Let us make humankind in our image, so all humanity bears that divine image. God calls us very good, so our very existence, the existence of the human race as a whole, starts from a place of God's love and joy and delight. It's not until chapter three when we begin to hear about the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of sin and the brokenness that it permeates our existence. Now, I'm not denying that that exists. I'm not denying that our brokenness is not a reality. All we have to do is look at the way we interact with one another and look at everything that we continue to hear on the news to know that, yes, this brokenness is a reality. But we need to remember where our existence starts. Our existence begins from the joy and delight of the one who made us, and we bear that divine image, all of us. So one of the things that we need to take from this, one of the things that we need to remember when we recall Jesus' words and his teachings that he instructed us to also share, the kingdom has come near, we remember that the presence of God has come near to those whom God takes delight in, to those whom God, who bear God's divine image, that we start from that place of God's divine love. And despite the brokenness that comes onto the scene after the fact, God through Jesus overcame that, showed God's grace for each of us, God's mercy for each of us through the death and resurrection of Jesus because of the love that starts our existence. Folks, can we focus in on that idea, especially as we consider the unrest that's in our society and in our nation right now, as we recognize those who have been marginalized, as we recognize those who have been made to feel less than and treated less than and thrown out to the, to the side and, and, and society has treated them as if they are not important as we consider our own ways of experiencing brokenness and the way that we treat one another and the way that we ourselves are treated, may we remember first when we encounter one another and when we think about this world that we share that it begins from the place that's good in God's divine delight and that God has overcome the brokenness that is still there. When we start here and then move over here, we begin to find the mutual joy, the mutual humanity, the mutual love that God has for each of us. If we can start there, then perhaps we can start making steps forward into acting in a way that reflects the reality of the kingdom which has come near to all people. This was the message that the disciples were sent to proclaim. And yeah, in a strange situation, it may have started in a way that felt very limited, but through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit over the course of literal centuries, this message continues to permeate through the world, and we are bearers of it as well. May we hold on to that, whether we are a person who, who like me, like a, as a pastor, I proclaim this as part of my work every single day, or may we be one of those background voices that are so important to the overarching melody that we bring our little piece of it to remember that this glorious music that is the body of Christ requires all of us.
one voice together, bringing beautiful music that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.